Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I'm James Kreppi, and he's Aaron Fentress, and we will get into all things Ducks and their season-opening win over Fresno State and look ahead to this week's game with Ohio State. But before we get to, obviously, the marquee matchup of non-conference play, not only for Oregon and Ohio State and really all of college football in Week 2, a look back, Aaron, uh, to this past weekend's game, the season opener for the Ducks, a 31-24 win over Fresno State. Uh, the first and most significant headline of the whole thing, obviously being the health of Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, and watching it in real time, uh, what was your vantage point of the play? What, and upon, uh, you know, review and taking a look at it, uh, just what did you, uh, and, you know, your initial thoughts of just seeing Oregon star player, uh, go down with an ankle sprain there? Well, we're so high up at Austin. We don't, it's not the greatest vantage point in the world, but I couldn't really tell what happened at first. Like it, it, it seemed it was confusing to me, but clearly he stayed down. And whenever someone stays down, they're looking at anywhere around their leg. That's, you know, concern for something severe. But the fact that he got up with, within maybe what 90 seconds was clearly a good sign. So it seems like something that could linger though, but he definitely not going to be out for the season. Maybe, maybe he misses this week. I believe they're being. They're, they're uncertain of sort of what's going to happen with him, but it sounds to me like it could be something that could keep him out of this week's game. Yeah, we'll see how the week progresses. Uh, obviously, we'll talk with players after practice today, after practice Wednesday, talk with Mario after practice Wednesday. So we'll see. Uh, and he had said it's day-to-day. Look, there is no advantage for them whatsoever to be forthright when it comes to particularly this injury uh, this week. They do not play hide the football. They don't get into cloak and dagger stuff. That's not how Mario does things. But in this week in Thank particular, God. there's there's simply no, you know, there's no reason for, um, right. uh, to, to be forthcoming with a lot of this information. One, it may very well not be totally determined. And two, right now, Ohio State has not been uh, very forthright with damn near anything either uh, from right. a personnel standpoint. You know, they had their top two outside corners didn't play last week. Uh, and Ryan Day had nothing by way of an update today. Uh, from his press conference. Now, they do have an availability report late in the week that they release, but that's late in the week. As of right now, obviously, it's not going to change anything in terms of Ohio State's preparation. They're preparing for the best defensive end in the country to be playing. If he doesn't, well, that's sure. <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean, for, for their perspective, it doesn't change anything. But we'll see how the week goes. Um, we'll see, obviously, you know, what Mario has to say on Wednesday. But uh, I, from, yeah, again, sitting next to you in, in the press box on Saturday. I, I, at first glance, again, like you mentioned, you know, from, from our angle, I saw how it went down. I thought that 
he got knocked in like the lower calf and just basically got knocked off of his feet. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the complete roll up onto the ankle from our vantage point because from our angle, you couldn't tell that he hit the ankle for, for sure. Uh, then seeing the TV uh, replay, you know, a minute or so later, yeah, it was clear that that's what had taken place. So you go, okay, well, the good news was um, for, for a roll up of, of all kinds of injuries, right. it was more to the side of the foot um, side of the ankle, right. As opposed to, you know, up the Achilles, which that would be far, far more uh, significant. So that was a positive. Second is it was not all of a player's weight falling on him or something like that. So it was as minor as something like that could be. It appeared to be visually by no means am I a, right. a doctor or medical professional, but it, he got up, he walked off on his own, went to the tent, came out, shoe off, got taped, went back in the game. And even though uh, the Pac-12 Network's uh, fine commentating crew uh, wanted to portray that he was not as explosive uh, on the very first snap that he got back on the field, he then recorded a tackle a couple of plays later. So it wasn't as though he was, you know, he got back out there and he was totally useless. He made plays. Uh, yeah. So it made plays for others. So then when he went in before halftime, went, all right, well, I mean, it's like at that point, there's about two minutes or so left in the half. I went, well, the new cleats taped. They could be going in and adjusting the cleat. They could be cutting a hole in it for all I know. I'm like, uh, who knows? Uh, but when he didn't come out after halftime, obviously that's when you knew they were either being overly cautious, uh, understandably so, which or yeah, that definitely makes sense, which what well, makes all the sense in the world yeah. or something had happened and, and, you know, he just couldn't keep going. Uh, but again, we'll see what happens this week. We're not proclaiming, uh, one way or another at this point. Uh, but certainly the, the silver lining or any morsel of positivity, uh, as it can relate to an injury was that obviously he was able to return. And it wasn't just like it wasn't something where he was helped off the field. Um, you know, he couldn't put any weight on it. No, nothing like that. So yeah. in terms of severity, at first glance, at first blush, appeared as though to be, as ankle sprains go, a relatively speaking, comparatively speaking, minor ankle sprain compared they're, they're, to. And they're know, not calling it a high ankle sprain, right? No, but again, when you start getting into, you know, Proper ter- either proper like- either proper terminology or start breaking down grades. Um, you know, again, coaches who aren't going to be forthright about that in the first place. And again, have no reason to. You know, Mario or anybody else, um, unless somebody's out for a long period of time, they're not going to get into that. They're not going to get. Into- well, funny you should ask. Let me tell you, it's a grade one, two, three high. You know, n- no, no. I mean, that's. You know, I-, I remember when Panay got hurt as a freshman, and they wouldn't even outright, and he was out, and he was out for you know the second half of the season. And it was known that it was a high ankle sprain. <laughs> and right. it was known that it was a tightrope procedure. And it wasn't said until after the season was over that it was, yes, a high ankle sprain with a tightrope procedure. So you missed, the gl- you missed the glory years when the guys would be out for the season and they w- wouldn't even acknowledge that they were injured. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. <laughs> that would have drove you bananas. If you, that's you that's college football. <laughs> that's the way it goes. And there's, there's no, again, there's no uh, uh, incentive, uh, unfortunately, for for that to change has been talk over the years, but is what it is. So again, the, the top headline from, from the game obviously starts and ends with Thibodeau and his injury update. Uh, the rest, and we'll get into the rest here briefly, uh, but the rest is kind of window dressing to what is otherwise, you know, that storyline uh, and, and bit of news. So you sound but, like you think it's high, highly probable he plays. Do you feel that way? I'd say it's, I'd say 
questionable to probable somewhere in that range. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I mean, he left the field. He didn't play in the second half. Um, so I don't want to say probable, but like as if I don't, you know, have a, a, a particular inkling leaning in that direction. And I don't want to say doubtful because I think that's probably overstating the case too. I think at this point you yeah. say questionable and, you know, we'll see how the day and the week progresses. Uh, but to the rest guess, of the, I would, sorry, but I would guess at the very least he suits up and he suits up and gives it a shot. Goes through a warm up, see if he can go, and then go from there. I would imagine they can treat him enough during the week to where he could probably get out there and at least run around and try it out. That's my yeah. Guess. I mean, the other part <laughs> of this is that you know it's not just oh it's a big game. Yeah, it's Ohio State. Yeah, you know it's obviously really important to both teams. You know, Ohio State has some of the best offensive linemen in the country. Right. You know, so that's it's not as though he's going up against an opponent where you say, well, it's a big opponent, but well, what about their offensive line? No, their offensive line has some of the best tackles in the country. Uh, some of the best guards, and frankly, they have four tackles on the offensive line and a center. Uh, that's literally, uh, so that's, that's the way their line is composed. The weak link is a first time starter at right tackle who I believe is listed at like 6'10, 360. <laughs> you know, that's the weak point. So point is, is, you know, this is a monumental test for the teams. Right. It's a monumental matchup for both Ohio State's offensive line and Thibodeau and the rest of Oregon's front seven for that matter. But, it's not as simple as saying, well, tape him up, you know, give him some kind of a, um, a painkiller or something. He'll tough it out because he's a tough guy. Don't, 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 don't profess to be tough with somebody else's body. You know, this is still one of the most explosive players and he has to rely on his ankles to create that leverage against 300 plus pound human beings, you know, 50, 60 snaps a game. That's, it's a lot to ask. Um, so again, we'll see how the week progresses, but. Obviously, the most significant ankle in not just Oregon football's program, uh, but <laughs> probably all of college football for this week, for for sure. <laughs> to the rest of the game, uh, Aaron, uh, your impressions on Oregon's offense, on Anthony Brown Jr., and the way he played, uh, just the offense as a whole. Completely underwhelmed by the offense as a whole. Completely underwhelmed by the run game, although it got rolling in the fourth quarter. Uh, the passing game. Unimpressive. Johnny Johnson had a nice game, but I expected to see more. I expected to see more one because Brown's been in the program now for 20 months. He came in like, well, what, 16, 17 months. He went through some, you know, the offense last year playing behind Chef and then playing some in some games. He had all spring as number one, all summer as number one, all fall camp, and they just did not look very good. Also, they have all these new receivers. We didn't see much action from any of those guys. The younger guys didn't make a lot of plays. Some of that, you know, he he ran a lot off of called pass plays where he dropped back, didn't see something, and ran. Uh, so maybe guys weren't getting open. Maybe he was missing them. Combination of all of the above. The bottom line is you got to have a better passing game than that if you want to go where they want to go. And it just was underwhelming. Like, I was just unimpressed completely. Yeah, it was certainly not uh, one that you're going to write home about by way of performances. That said, I honestly – one, we talked last week. I said Fresno State was going to be a legitimate test. They were. Did I expect them to lead in the fourth quarter? No, I did not. Um, but I did expect them to be a legitimate test. Talked about that they had legitimate pass rush. They did. They created a lot of pressure <laughs> throughout the course of the game. And the strat, you know, the, the sack fumble that I really don't blame Brown on at all. Uh, and, you know, the sack fumble that we lost the ball and Fresno State got the lead. Yeah. And frankly, on one of the throws, one of the deep throws that I know that's one of the big talking points, I guess, in the fan base this week. Where are all the deep throws? Where are all the deep throws? Well, all right. There was some that were missed. And there was one that he was fortunate just to get off, and it wasn't a defensive touchdown. You know, yeah, the the missed throw to Micah Pittman over the middle, where Mike is diving, 
if Anthony doesn't evade a completely wide and free linebacker, if he doesn't get it out, that is not just potentially a loss of yardage rather than just an incomplete pass. That could be a sack at like the one that could be a safety because he was very close to being in the end zone, if not in the end zone, or it could have been a defensive touchdown. So yeah, it would have been great to hit a 35 plus yard pass. It also was great to avoid Disaster. giving up a defensive score. And if you don't sure. have a mobile quarterback, that's like I say, at minimum, that's a safety in my mind. So yes, there were obviously plays missed, but I expected it to be close to the vest as a whole. Again, did I thought, I could write probably and come up with a dissertation on theory about what happens when an offense gets short fields and can build a lead early in a game, multiple short fields early, and what that does to offensive rhythm, whatever that may mean, uh, and, and overall productivity thereafter, particularly in these kinds of matchups, a power five, group of five matchup. Having said that, that's not making excuses. That's just contextualizing. We've all seen instances of where this open up with a kick return touchdown or, or an early punt return touchdown, defensive score, whatever the case is, short field. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, the team's up 14 nothing. You go, yeah, but how many offensive plays did they run? Uh, six. You know, right. oh, so the offense have, the offense not have rhythm. You win the game 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter. And yet you're like, but the offense hasn't done much. No, they haven't. No, they didn't. So that's, that's kind of one of those like, well, what do you want? You want them to be able to capitalize on a short field and score. They did. On the other hand, you want all this, you know, bombastic over the top stuff. And it's like, well, they only have like a 30 yard field to work with. Like, what, what are you, what were you asking for? Um, that said, the best the offense looked, particularly in the passing game was the touchdown drive in the second quarter. And forget about the last pass of the first half. I don't even know why they bothered with that. That was garbage. I don't know what that was. I don't know why they bothered. <laughs> it, it made no sense. It, they weren't going to score from there. So it was like either you're setting up a trick play, which you're not showing there. Just take a knee and call it a day. But anyway, take that play out of it. That To me, that's like totally irrelevant. They were practicing. Sure. <laughs> I, that, that, it just made no sense. Uh, but be that as it may, throw that play out. He was, I believe it was eight of nine, basically over course of uh, from the second quarter touchdown drive into the third quarter. But then that drive where he continued that, uh, Anthony Brown Jr., Ended with a fourth and one uh, stop where C.J. Verdell slips and trips on the turf. And you go, <laughs> all right, well, I mean, who do you knock on that? I mean, you know, nobody drew it up for that to happen. You know, it wasn't exactly right. what either what, what either players planning for, what the coaching staff is planning for. So it's one of those like, well, oops, like, you know, what is there to say? You know, don't do that again. I mean, what, 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 what would you, you know, profess to say to the players after that? Like, no, it wasn't like they were trying to do that. So having said all that, as a whole, I thought they just probably put in a little bit too much personnel too early. Overall number of personnel, yeah, you want to be able to get in that many guys over the course of a game with a Mountain West team. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was too much too early. I thought playing five tight ends is fine and well and good. I don't think you start putting in multi, you know, four tackles. They had eight offensive linemen as a whole, but four tackles, five tight ends. Six, seven receivers, but only four, or I think four had uh, true receivers had caught passes. To me, you don't go that route until you secure a three score or more lead in these kinds of games. Why not? Because look at what happened. Because when it was staying at two scores, to use a baseball terminology, you're a bloop and a blast from a world of hurt. 
So do you think that the game was close because they were running all these personnel out there? I think there was general lack of continuity on the offense as a whole. I think that they kept everything very close to the vest, both by employing that personnel. Ultimately, what's Ohio State looking at? The entire game, to me, was all about the next week and not putting anything on film of value for Ohio State to look at. Anything. Anything at all. Yeah, certain personnel, you got to do what you got to do. But back-to-back runs by CJ out of 12 personnel down in the goal line early, and yeah, they scored eventually, but it was the same play, back-to-back plays. Now, of course, you say could have, would have, should have scored, you know, the first time around, whatever. Not knocking it, but fact is they were just trying to get the game over with and not put anything on film of tremendous value. I get it. I respect it. It's about not trying to give Ohio State much by way of anything. Don't start. What, what are you going to do? Draw up a couple of a couple of trick plays to turn a you know fourteen point game into a twenty eight point game against Fresno State, and now you just showed Ohio State with a couple of your trick plays or something like what are you what are you doing? You never let, me, do that. let me respond to that real quick. I saw a lot of people saying that, making that excuse. And if you're a major college football program, you have enough. You should have enough plays that are going to produce explosion plays and score a lot of points for two different games. Like you yeah, again, they missed some. Fresno they missed some. Not run any of that stuff in the next yeah. week's game, or show that same look and then run a variation of it to fool the team that who's scouting you. That's what good. Sure, and again, they missed some. That's the idea, a, uh, there's no excuse for for the ones that they missed. For the for the hey, look, they they miss. Uh, Brown throws a a low pass over the middle that gets broken up at the line of scrimmage, uh, and it was a pass to Micah, where or Micah or Jalen, I think it was Micah, but. It literally almost hit the offensive lineman in the helmet. Forget about the defensive lineman. Defensive lineman didn't even have to raise his hand. I mean, it basically just hit right. the player at, at head height. All right, well, that's just a low pass. What are you going to do? Well, that's third down. All right, well, that, that stops a drive. That's a low pass. I agree. I'm what? saying it's, but it wasn't the play call wasn't the problem. You know, you're trying to convert a third down. What happened? Well, throw got out low. All right. Uh, the deep throw to Johnny down the right sideline that was missed on a third down that could have been a huge, huge chunk play, slightly underthrown. Not dramatically underthrown. Not the way the defense had a chance to pick it off. No, just slightly underthrown. If it's a difference of two to three yards, talking about infinitesimal, but difference of a major explosive play that could not just convert it to third down, maybe maybe could have blown the top of the coverage for a touchdown early, could have completely swung the game to a 21-point game. All right, don't hit that. Third and 11 to Jalen. Low on the turf. Okay. Bootleg bootleg pass to Mike in the end zone. Hits him in the hands. So there were misses by receivers. There were misses by Brown. There were misses by receivers blocking on the running game, where Travis had back-to-back runs for one and three yards that if Devin Williams blocks the safety on either play, Travis is still running. So there were misses collectively as the offense. So point is, is for those who want to criticize either play calling, always oh, too conservative. It was this. They missed opportunities that they did have, and they didn't necessarily employ a ton. But the few that they did, either pressure got to Brown, mistakes happen. Basically, it embodied everything that is a week one game where there is a change of quarterback and where there is a lot of utilization of personnel. Now, you're the number 11 team in the country. Your fan base doesn't want to hear that. I get it. But having said that, not everything was a disaster. Not everything was awful. The offense as a whole was eh. 
It was okay. I'm just saying it was it was not great. It wasn't. I'm not gonna tell you. James, let me ask you a question. When when was the last time the offense was good? Uh well, last season was uh, screwed up for everybody in the league. That I mean, honestly, the the offense the offense was not bad. The offense was not bad in the first three games of last season. The offense was not bad. The first three games last season, and even the Oregon State they scored 38. But after that, (laughs) Cal, USC, the offense was not good. They had 243 yards of offense. Mm Iowa State, they got shut out in the second half, and mm-hmm. now this game. That's four games where the offense has been bad to average at best. This is year um, – we've had five recruiting cycles since they changed over to Tiger, which Mario was on that staff since then. The five Tiger class cycles. does not count. The Tiger class does not count. Mario was it a does part not of count. that. It does not count. Go take a look at that class and tell me how many yeah. players on this roster still exist from that that's, class. That's my point, James. They've had five recruiting classes. We're five years out from when they made the switch. Mario was a part of that Taggart staff. You have a sixth-year transfer at quarterback, which means you had five recruiting classes to find a quarterback. They, they're going with a sixth-year transfer. They blew out Tyler Shuck, who's now at Texas Tech. Four, Anthony Brown and said, Brown is our guy, Tyler. Leave if you want. They've had all these receivers, all these four- and five-star guys come in. The offensive line – Kanzano wrote a column the other day about how big the offensive line is compared to yesteryear. Yesteryear's offensive line rushed for 280, 300 yards a game. These guys can barely get to 180 sometimes against the Fresno State. So all I'm saying, and for a program that's talking national, nationally, they're not talking locally. They're not talking, we just want to win the North. Yeah. All right, they're talking nationally. So from on a national scale, with all the recruiting classes they've had in the top 10, and the situation that quarterback, that was nonsense on Saturday. That was bad. And that's how I'm judging. I'm not judging them. Winning the Pac-12 North. The Pac-12 North is garbage right now. If they don't win the North, then it's just a disaster at this point. I'm judging them on playing the top 10, which is what they're ranked in the top 10, close to the top 10. They looked horrible. I don't want to hear about personnel. I don't want to hear about they just missed this or just missed that. This is a trend that's alarming. That should be... Also, where's Joe Moorhead's amazingly wide-open, downfield, aerobatic offense that was going to be so much better than the Royals. Arroyo was garbage, right? He had to go only when the pack. Well, you said he that. I never said that. And now Moorhead, what if, I'm not saying you did, but where's that offense from Moorhead? Like it's what we saw on Saturday. I think you saw it a little bit early last season. I thought, I thought you saw it a little bit early last season. Against Stanford, Washington State, decent against UCLA, Oregon State, fine. Against, yeah. you know, I, so I, all I'm saying is, and then, and then they the pillar of the entire offense was not available last season. Be, the end of last season. The end of last they season. Should be dropping, they should be dropping fifty on Fresno, regardless. <laughs> if they were, if they were playing Stony Brook this week rather than Ohio State, I think they would have. Okay. So, just being honest, I'm I think just, they would have. Listen, I have ma- this I was have not a, for a game that could could have would have should have been a, a pad your stats game because of the way the schedule is constructed. It wasn't. Now, this week is the monumental test. Again, then all of a sudden it's going to be Stony Brook, pad stats. Arizona could very well be pad stats. Colorado, they might be close. Arizona, (laughs) really? Okay. Fresno State was close. All right. Is Fresno State some great? I mean, I'm just saying. Until we see this offense do something, I'm holding out reservations on everything because it's been bad now. There, it's, it's not. It's alarming to me, given all the talent they allegedly have. Let's go to the well, run game, though. Give me your assessment of the run game. Because what is going – okay, fourth quarter they got going. But, man, the first – Fourth quarter they on, stopped man. They stopped the nonsense. Come on. You can't tell me that they went out there with the intent to uh, employ the run game 
excessively. First off, are are, are you in the position? Are you in position of a lot of fans who, who continue to tweet at me and, and send me emails and talks and talking about the very things you're talking about in terms of explosiveness? And you just want to see the ball thrown around 400 yards a game like it's the air raid, or do you actually want to win the football game? Because if you want to win the football game right now, the identity of the offense is around C.J. Burdell. So that's where it is. Well, he had seven carries in the first three quarters, and three of them came on consecutive runs at the goal line. Right. How many yards did he have? Nine. Exactly. That's my that's point. point. My, that's my that's point that's is he got 10 carries in the fourth quarter, and he's the identity of the offense. Until and unless the young receivers start coming through, and no, you didn't see them a lot last week, but until that happens, you're not going to see – this four, 350, 400 passing yard per game well, kind I'm of thing. I'm not calling for 350, 400 passing. I'm calling for some semblance of efficiency. Where, you know, some sem- uh, you know, a situation where it looks explosive. It doesn't mean it has to be 400 yards. It could be 290. But the point is, offensively, they did not look good in, by any stretch of the imagination other than the fourth quarter they ran well on Fresno State. Great. To me, you should rush for 286, three something against a Fresno State, not 186 with most of it coming in the fourth and most of it coming with well, a lot and of it had they, the quarterback. And again, short fields early. Early. All right. What do you what what do you want the first quarter production to be, Aaron? If they only had 40 yards to go, it can't be 50. I, I understand they had short fields. Hey, I want 300 yards offense in the first quarter. How many I yards could they gain? Uh 75. I, I mean ask for 300. You keep exaggerating. You can have Two short field positions. How many possessions did they have in the first half? They had enough to still rush well. They still didn't. It doesn't matter. The totals is not what I'm. What's in the first me. half? The they had six true drives. Six true drives in the first half. Two of them started. Two of them started. So what? At it started deep inside Fresno State territory on two of them. Okay. So, so in terms of available drive. yards, they had a seven play drive for thirty six yards. A Three-yard drive, a 27-yard drive. Okay. okay. So in three drives, at that drive, point, drive. at the end of the first quarter, they, at that point, had three, and it's the last possession tra- uh, traversed into the beginning of the second quarter. They had 13 plays for somewhere in the realm of about 65-ish yards. But more basically half of it, Came on back-to-back touchdowns on short fields. Okay, but, well, what do you want them yeah, to do? I'm Come not, up with more okay. yards? Okay. You want, like, Second, okay, hold on, hold on. Second drive of the game. Verdell, three straight runs for five yards. Wait, oh, sorry. But they scored. Yeah, three straight runs for five yards. Later, zero and five, four-yard run. Die comes in for four consecutive runs for 11 yards. First half, Die and Verdell had 28 yards on nine carries. I don't care where you are on the, on the field, dude. That's not good. I'm not saying they should have had 220 yards in the first half. I'm saying that 28 yards on nine carries from your two running backs in six drives with two being short field ain't good. <laughs> Period. Yeah, and some you of it. Going, like I, I say, to the first, I, I like, to me, hey, you, you, to you get yards. Oh, you get to a goal. Yards. You get to a goal in line. You get to a goal line and there's only three yards to gain. You can do it on one carry. You can do it on three carries. It took them three. All right. Well, that's obviously not ideal. It skews averages. It skews statistics. Badly. Okay. Badly. But the max that they could have gotten was three in the first place. <laughs> like, all right. It took I'm them not, three I tries from the three. I get it. It's not I good. I understand that. But 
There's a lot yeah. of heavy people down there. So you think the, so you think the run game was just fine in the first half? There. No, I thought that it okay. did so what agree. it had to do at a couple of times. I thought it I thought in some instances the limitations were there by they couldn't create more yards. They were capped off. They were in the goal line area. They had short fields in the first quarter. Second quarter, like I said, they ended up throwing the ball around a little bit and got some success. But in terms of if you want to say, all right, well, what should the running game be? Well, in the fourth quarter, I think you saw a decent chunk of that and because rubber met the road and they needed to stop messing around. And lo and behold, yeah, what, what happened? They got 84 yards on the ground in the fourth quarter. Well, extrapolate that over the course of a game, and they're running for 320 yards. So, I mean, what, what sample well, I, I, size, what sample size do we want to take? Yards, a sample Iowa, size. Iowa of, State, 86 yards on 18 carries. I'm just, I'm saying yeah. that I'm not buying the fourth quarter. And CJ Verdell is not in the game. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying. I'm, I'm just going to shrug my shoulder. He's I'm, the number one career rusher in college football today. Now that Minnesota's running back is injured, and you're just, eh, eh, that, he's not in the game. Eh, who that, cares? He's the, the number one player in the country. The problem's not the back. The problem is no, the line. not at all. The line's losing the line of scrimmage. 135 yards. Hey, I'm not telling you that the line's going to win the Joe Moore Award or not. I'm just telling you that having CJ Verdell helps. Of course he helps, but that's not the issue. I and if and if and if and let's put it this way, if it is the issue, then you're telling me Oregon just has one quality back. No, I'm telling you that he's after, the best. After five years, well, you know, I can go back to years where Royce Freeman didn't play and they rushed for 300, to where Lamichael went out and Kenyon rushed for 200. I, I mean, the, the idea that they only have one back. So we're saying after five recruiting cycles, Oregon has one legit back. So that's another red flag. No, I the, said the, the that game, you're going back to last season, going back to the okay. end of last season in Iowa State when he was not on the field. Okay, that's fine. But that's what I'm referring to. Not, the running back is not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the fact that there aren't holes. C.J. Verdell is not a hole-creating running back. He's not a 4-3 guy. He's not juke. What's last no. time he juked anybody? He's not running over anybody. Okay. So he's not running is, over anybody? He's not running over anybody. He, how many, show me how running many, over he's anybody? Running over. Yards he's after contact. Over, he's running over a lot of people. You're telling he, me he, like, he, he he you tell me that he doesn't have yards after contact. You're telling me he's Freeman or Stewart. I don't need to compare him to people. You just said he doesn't okay. knock over anybody. He doesn't have yards after contact. CJ Verdell. CJ Verdell. Okay. All right, we're watching a two two very different teams. I don't know which team you're watching. Not, I don't know which which running back you've watched the last three plus years. He's not a back. Twenty five hundred career rushing yards hasn't knocked over a soul. He's a scat back. Guys played through an Allen Iverson list of injuries okay. in his career. He's the, a scat back. The running game. The running game is fine. It's Let, I, 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 the, the next time you see CJ Verdell run, run out of run out of bounds to avoid contact, it'll be the first time. You know what I'm talking. He's not a huge back to where teams are scared of C.J. Verdell pounding them and running all over them. They're, they're just not. So he's not a guy to where he's going to make the running game completely passable by himself. The line, the holes, the consistency just isn't there, and it hasn't been. It wasn't even really that consistent in 2019. It was up and down. This is a continuation of that on Saturday. That's all I'm saying. You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. But let's move on. Let's move on to the defense. Let me hear if you can kind of defend the defense here. Or do you defend? They the played defense? really well. I mean, I thought the defense, defense played. played well. 
I thought the defense played pretty well overall. I realize that some are going to jump out and freak out about passing yards allowed. I don't think that that's a big deal in this game. One, veteran quarterback in Hayner. Cropper was a damn good receiver. You knew that going in. Ty Jones was a Washington transfer. They had talent at the skilled positions. What was the aim? Who was the number one weapon going into the game for Fresno State? Ronnie Rivers. What did he do? Butkus. You took away the primary weapon. That's goal one. Limit the explosive plays of Ronnie Rivers. Did they do it? Yes. Okay. Wasn't there goal number two? Last year? Goal number Was two. Fresno's running game bad last year. I mean, I'm not doing. I'm not going simply on his overall running numbers. He was explosive. He's he's the leading receiving yards player among running backs in the country. Did they limit his explosiveness? Yes. That's a pro- that's goal number one heading into the game in terms of if you're going to plan for Fresno State, what do you need to do? Contain Ronnie Rivers. They did it. They held him to 2.9 yards per carry. <laughs> they held him to under five yards a catch. That's limiting Ronnie Rivers. That was goal one. All right, goal two, especially when you're starting a first-time starter at boundary corner and rotating in two players with TriQuest Bridges and Dante Manning at boundary corner who had not played a significant amount of reps in the secondary in a game before. Don't get beat over the top. Didn't happen all game. The one long pass that Fresno State hit was an entirely across-the-field run by their receiver. And yeah, Bridges was defending him and he gave him a lot of cushion, but he went all the way across the field. Hayner scrambled like crazy to create a ton of time. All right. Yeah. It did hit for 39 yards. Yes. Yes, it did. But in terms of did they ever get beat over the top and have to be turned around chasing a receiver? No, they didn't. So while I completely understand and get where Tim DeRuda was coming from yesterday saying, look, they would have liked to see Bridges and Manning, quote-unquote, compete a little bit more intensely on the outside, giving a little bit too much cushion. That's a confidence thing. That's a young guy's thing. It's He he said it. I get it. I don't disagree with where they're coming from. Like, hey, guys, like, you know, frankly, don't worry about getting beat. But I think they approached it conservatively, even if it was just the players themselves doing it. Fine. Ultimately, the goal was get through the game, win the game, and limit certain things. They limited, relatively speaking, limited explosive plays. They give up a ton of yards in passing, nearly 300 yards passing. Yes, they did. They did it to a team who had a massive experience advantage in certain positions. The two plays to me that were most concerning from Fresno State's offense against Oregon's defense were the touchdown to Cropper where Oregon's defense just completely busted. And the pass interference against Noah Sewell on the tight end and the reason why is not because it then led to a touchdown a couple plays later. No, no, no. It's that Fresno State was able to free up either the tight end or cropper of all the people up against linebackers. And when you're when Ohio State and the tight end that they have and the slot receivers that they have, not just slot re- receivers in general, that is problematic because they look to create mismatches anywhere on the field, but if you just showed them how to do it against two unbelievably talented, but still relatively young inside linebackers, as great a game as Justin Flo had, and he had a great game, and Noah Sewell played well, but in pass coverage, they got lost a couple of times. So that, to me, was the biggest takeaway defensively. As a whole, 
they did well. They limited the ground game. They knocked out the top weapon. They didn't get beat over the top. Success, checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. What was the problem? Well, they got lost a couple of times in pass coverage from the linebackers in particular. I thought they created a good amount of pressure. Yes, Fresno State's offensive line gave up four sacks a game even last season, so you can't say it was good, bad, or otherwise, particularly when Thibodeau goes down. But they created consistent pressure, and they didn't allow a lot on the ground. Those are good signs. If you want to freak out about the 298 in the air, well, again, I tell you, you're not entirely wrong. But how did you get to 298? Was it because a 75 and a 50-yard pass over the top? No, that didn't happen. So like I say, as a whole, I thought the defense played pretty well. <clears throat> But, you know, I'm, I'm I mean, not the only uh, word on the matter. <laughs> Look, I don't think they were awful by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, I, I expected them to shut down the running game. Fresno State's running game wasn't that great last year. Rivers is a good back, but it's not like their running game was overly dominant or anything. So I'm not surprised by that. I was a little surprised to see Hayner have such a good first half, 220. And then that touchdown drive, the 85-yard touchdown drive to tie the game, I mean, to me, if you're struggling on defense or things are going wrong, you got to fix some things. Like now it's a close game in the second half, the 21-14, which is not what you expected or Vegas expected or anyone expected. Mm -hmm. And you let this team march 85 yards and score on you. So that stretch from the first half to that moment was not awe-inspiring or very inspirational as far as I'm concerned in terms of what I've been told this defense is supposed to be and what it's been billed as – becoming because of all the five-star recruits, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when I look at a Fresno State and then I compare them to an Ohio State in terms of talent, red flags are flying all over the place that Oregon could just get lit up. I could be completely wrong. We'll see what happens. But they're not going to stop Ohio State from running the football. And they have more explosive receivers than Fresno has. Now they have a green quarterback. We can talk, we'll talk more about that later. But I'm looking at this game in terms of how what it means to me moving forward against better teams like Ohio State, UCLA down the road, Pac-12 North is garbage right now, so maybe there's not going to be a good offense in that in that division to worry about. But for me, that was not an impressive showing in terms of preparing for an Ohio State. I see your points; you're not wrong. We can nitpick and pick things out, et cetera, et cetera. And fourth quarter uh, or second half, I think they only allowed 78 yards passing. I think so. There was some growth there, I guess, but. I, I, it has me worried about what's going to happen to them at Ohio State. Uh, some of it for good reason. Like I say, some of it, to me, when you limit an opponent to 2.6 yards per carry, I mean, and, and and take away their primary weapon in that regard, and they threw the ball 43 times to get to 298 yards, 30 of 43 on the game. Yep. I, like I say, and they never got beat over the top. Well, that's significant, just as significant as – giving up the 298 when you're going up against Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Ruckert, it's just as significant not to get beat over the top and be looking at their nameplate all day as it is. I mean, that because flat out, that's what those guys can do. Olave and Wilson can be, you know, they, they can have you looking at the back of their helmets. And that's the concern going into this week for anybody, anybody who's playing Ohio State all season. Well, again, Oregon kept the top on the coverage and for young players in the secondary in particular, I think that's a good sign. No, giving up stuff underneath. Definitely not a bad you, sign. You'd prefer to give up nothing. I, I don't misunderstand me, but they also went out and threw 43 times. They were going to get yards. Like it was, it was going to happen, especially once you took away the ground game. So somewhere, somehow, unless Fresno State was going to get zero, 
you know, unlike their week one opponent, Fresno State is not UConn. So they actually have some talent. They have some experience. They have some quality players. No, I'm not telling you they're going to go out and win the Mountain West, but they're not an embarrassing team. They're not. We said they were going to be a legitimate threat, a legitimate opponent in a competitive game. It was more so than I expected in terms of late in the game, but they were a legitimate test. They proved to be. But having said that, that's the bow on last week's wait, wait, wait. game one way or another. Your, your, your opinion on Flo before we move on. <clears throat> terrific People player. There's not enough superlatives. Terrific player. Uh, he, like I wrote uh, in my takeaways on Sunday, he'll be a menace. Uh, he's going to inflict a whole lot of damage out there. Uh, he's also somebody who has to learn. Ask him about it after the game. Playing with the edge and aggressiveness is what makes him him. He is going to have to learn one way or another. And if you're an Oregon fan, you don't want it to be the hard way. One way or another, you do not want it to be the hard way. And the hard way is targeting calls, personal fouls, things that could result in changes in a game. You know, he has got to find a way to bridle the unbridled nature. Uh, you know, the, the, it's a double-edged sword. You want a linebacker who can make those kind of plays. You want a linebacker who can be all over the field and run sideline to sideline and downhill and just lay the lumber. And he can. And so can Noah Sewell. That's fantastic. But when it's you know hitting a sliding quarterback when he's on his way down uh, and getting a personal foul, that no, I, I upon further review, also I never thought I, I didn't think it was even close to targeting in the first place. And no, it really wasn't. Um, it didn't need to be reviewed for it. It wasn't. But can a play like that? be potentially for a situation like that yeah so you want a player who has that kind of aggression and that kind of ferocity and tenacity but you want to keep him on the field and i i think that he's just going to have to learn that over time but it was also his you know most significant game action he made 13 of his 14 tackles after drew mathis went down fresno state only ran 52 plays he was in on one quarter of their plays (laughs) that's insane that's ridiculous you know, and he wasn't on the field for all of them either. So, you know, there's a couple that he was actually out for, uh, including after the personal foul when Nate Hukalani came in for a couple of snaps. So he was everywhere. He made a ton of plays, all terrific, all what you want to see from a player with that kind of talent. Obviously, you know, they're guys who live up to recruiting rankings. They're guys that don't. Oregon right now has several blue chip players in the front seven. Uh, that is part of why I think they stand a chance to compete with Ohio State because they do have blue chip players who are playing like blue chip players who are playing like top players, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. So one quick note, you mentioned 2017 class doesn't matter. Then you went off about Verdell who was in the 2017 class and their best receiver still giant Johnson from the 2017 class. Just, just a note as we move on that the 2017 class still has a presence on this football team. Okay. Ohio state versus Oregon. Ohio state was not overly impressive against Minnesota. They were also they were down at halftime. 14-10 at halftime, exactly. Uh I I watched a lot of the game on Thursday, not all of it, and then I went and watched like the 20-minute condensed version. Uh still, you know, this is a team that, like you mentioned, the offensive line can can roll up some rushing yards. What's your what's your uh initial feel about where this game could go for Oregon? I I think Ohio State has the best wide receiver duo in the country. And again, pairing with a tight end who, even though he didn't have a ton of production last week, Ruckert is a major 
major talent at tight end. They have so they have three major weapons there, Ma- major, major, massive weapons there. Their ground game, while not stunningly impressive last week, they didn't have that many plays last week. That's another yeah. part to contextualize. Um, and they still put up forty five points. You know, Ryan Day even talked about how hadn't been a part of very many games where you have you know forty five points on I believe it was forty eight plays, and that's just. That's hard well, to they do. Score, they scored a run, run of 71, pass 38, pass 56, pass 70, kickoff 65, pass 61. <laughs> those, are, yeah. those are their six touchdowns. Yeah. And they, they you know, yeah. it is what, you know, they just, they were, they were unbelievably uh, explosive, have been, will continue to be. So I think a, a key, not necessarily saying the key, but I think a key for Oregon in this game is. Anybody who plays Ohio State has to accept a degree of reality. That reality being you are probably going to get beat either over the top or by Wilson or Alave in some kind of juke move thing where they just get free and open space and hit the open field. You're going to have to accept that one of those is going to happen. That's just the way, it, you know, cost of doing business against this kind of team with this much talent, with this much firepower. It's the way it is. Yeah. For Oregon to win in Ohio Stadium, where there's going to be over 90,000, they say there's 10,000 tickets available, but based on, um, through Ohio State's website for, for ticket sales, there aren't 10,000 tickets. So they may be including the secondary market, but be that as it may, whether it's 90, whether it's 100, whatever the case is by way of attendance on Saturday, it's going to be the largest and loudest crowd any of Oregon's players have ever played in front of and will ever play in front of. Because even when they play in Georgia or uh, if they ever make the playoff here during the course of their careers, it's never going to be in a one-sided road venue of that size and magnitude like this. So in order to compete with a team like that as the road opponent, you cannot let a crowd get into work into its a frenzy. And particularly when you're not accustomed to that scale of a crowd. If you get beat over the top multiple times by this team, it's over. I don't care who you are. I don't care if we're talking about Oregon. I don't care if we're talking about Penn State. I don't care if we're talking about Michigan, Wisconsin. It doesn't matter. Anyone who goes into Ohio Stadium and gets beat over the top for multiple 40-plus yard touchdowns is losing the football game. You cannot, if you're Oregon, get beat that way over the top multiple times. Once anybody gets a free pass once. But you can't get beat like Minnesota did. Case in point. And they were the home team. And they were winning at halftime. That's the point. The ground game, they're actually really deep on the ground. And you didn't see a ton of it last week by way of their their rotation. But their most productive player last week, Mayan Williams, may not even be their best running back. And it may not be Master Teague the third either. Uh, Trayvon Henderson, who got in late, uh, I've been told by guys who cover Ohio State that he's actually their best running back. <laughs> so they're going to throw a lot of running backs at Oregon. Uh, whether or not that's problematic, well, you know, time will tell. Uh, I do think Oregon, and not just going off of last week, whatever. No, I do think they have talent again in the front seven that yeah. can, relatively speaking, create some pressure and and fill some gaps and holes and whatnot right. uh, in the run game. But I think Ohio State's firepower from an offensive standpoint is. It's just more abundant than anybody that is on Oregon's schedule this year, last year. Or even if you want to go back to 2019, 
Yeah, USC had a really talented receiving Auburn, core, but their running backs. Auburn. Oh my goodness! Auburn's yeah. offense wasn't offensively. Auburn wasn't was bad. inept by comparison to this. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Auburn wishes it had first round wide receivers. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 no. This this is a the, the receiver that scored the touchdown, the game winning touchdown for Auburn was a seventh, sixth, or seventh round pick, sixth or seventh round yeah. pick who uh, who made it, I believe, yeah, to a practice squad. squad. So practice yes, squad, uh, yeah. as good as Seth Williams was in college, um, that's the point. You know, Alave and Wilson. Yeah. And they're not alone. You know, they, they had a receiver <laughs> enter the portal and end up at Alabama. That sounded like a movie trailer. And they're not alone. Yeah, but that's the point is that they're not alone. And they, you know, they're so talented that they can lose a guy and he can end up at Alabama. That's what right. they're dealing with right now. Right. You know, that's just what the test is. Now, that said, so, you know, their defense is also really talented, too. Has so some holes. For, has some holes. They rushed for 201 on 26 carries against Minnesota with not one bat getting more than nine carries. And that was Williams for 125. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they spread it around in that game. Now, okay. You, you have said though, and you just mentioned a minute ago, you like, and I mean, everyone said this, the front seven for Oregon is legit. This offensive line yeah. for Ohio State's legit. And so talent wise, you look at it on paper, you think, okay, well, Oregon can, could maybe, do some stuff in this game. But again, when I look back at the, at the last year and this year, I'm just like, yeah, no, I don't buy it. I think Ohio state will wear them down and rush for 200 yards. If it wants to, am I crazy? 200 yards, 200. I mean, if they make it a point where that's the only thing that they're intent on doing, let's say, let's say, let's say at least we're talking, Okay, let's forget total yards because you're right. Intent. Let's say five to six yards per carry is what I'm saying. So if they rush it 40 times, that's 200. They only rush 26 times in this. I game. mean, you can't but, say it's an outrageous number because of just the way that they played. Even like, I mean, they still ran for over five yards a carry in the national championship game and they lost the game. Right. So you know they they were hitting those kind of figures, uh, and again they they have depth there. Now again they had Trey Sermon last season, but. Um, I, you can't say it's impossible. Again, Ohio State is used to putting up those kind of numbers on the ground uh, and in the air. Again, they're an unbelievably prolific offense, have been, continue to be. I I just think that with this receiving core, uh, that I, I think the passing game is just that explosive. Now, again, I don't, that's not knocking the ground game. They're, they are capable of both, uh, very much so. I... I'll say this much. Oregon does not stand a great chance that they allow 200 on the ground. If Ohio State, quote unquote, wants to or makes it a point to get to that level, right. uh, I'm not saying it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination, but I think if you're drawing up, if you're drawing it up for Ohio State, uh, I think that you try to put it in the air more because of the relative inexperience in Oregon secondary, uh, comparatively. And because you have, like I say, two of the best wide receivers in the country. It may be the two best wide receivers in the country. Take advantage of it while you got it. So here's something that speaks to your point earlier about the secondary for Oregon not giving up deep plays, not getting beat deep. So Ohio State passed for 294, but 225 of it came on four touchdown passes. One was a screen. I think another was a 10-yard completion, and they turned it upfield or what have you. Um, so that means that they only pass for 69 yards the rest of the game. Now, same argument almost with short field. 
how can you throw for more yards in different situations when you're scoring on big plays all the time, right? But if Oregon can avoid A, getting beat deep, or B, getting you know juked or shook in the, an open field and giving up those big explosion plays after the catch, then maybe there's some success that can be had there in forcing Stroud to be more efficient, hit the underneath stuff. And he's not as experienced as Hainer is. And so maybe you can have some success in that regard. But like you said, if they give up big plays like they like Minnesota did, Oregon's just torched. They're gonna, I mean, they're going to be cooked. But they showed signs that maybe they could avoid doing that. Yeah. Again, if you to me, anybody who keeps the top on the coverage in general, any given week, is giving themselves a chance. When you do it against a team with this kind of wide receiving core, you really give yourself a chance. But having said that, if you're just going to give up 20 yard passes all day, they'll gut you. Yeah. They'll take 20 at a clip. <laughs> they'll, they'll happily do it. They will oblige. So again, they, Ohio State has a ton of firepower. We don't know if Stroud, we, we don't really know if Stroud is, is that. Kind no, of because guy Minnesota's guy. defense, not very good. Yeah. It's not very good. So you don't know how to, you know, what do you translate from a week ago where, they had one game. Yeah, it's a road game. Yeah, they were down at halftime. But yeah, to your point, where you know when you want to get into well, this is what Oregon did against Fresno State, and how does that translate? Well, Ohio State played Minnesota. How does that translate? Uh, by way of comparison to an uh, Oregon team that yeah, I know Minnesota's pass defense was not awful last season. They were thirty six nationally, but how many truly great passing offenses did they play? Over the course of the year, you know, they play in the Big Ten West. Their run defense was worse. Their run defense was awful. So, yeah, Ohio State puts up 200 yards on the ground against Minnesota. Minnesota gave up 200 yards, over 200 yards per game last season on the ground. Right. So, you know, well, on one hand, it, so does that mean Ohio State's ground game is still really, really good? Or does Minnesota that mean that Minnesota's just <laughs> has not changed at all in terms of its, you know, ability to stop the run? So, right. how does it translate? What does it mean? And to me, <laughs> I think 45 points on, on 48 plays is, uh, uh, I think that kind of speaks for itself in terms of what they are capable of. And obviously we mentioned before the explosiveness. Yeah. Yeah. But again, if you're an Oregon fan, you look at it and go, Hey, they had, they kept the top on the coverage as a whole secondary. They did not get beat over the top this past week. And the one deep throw came, like I say, where the receiver all the way on the left side of the formation came all the way across the field and the quarterback scrambled like crazy. Right. You do not want to give CJ Stroud that much time to throw to this many weapons. It's more about, to me, an area where either fan base will argue which side has the advantage between Ohio State's line up front and Oregon's defensive front seven. I'm not going to say about the defensive line. It's really a front seven matchup. Okay. Each side so, will argue who has the advantage. I think it, that is an area that if Oregon can actually neutralize some of it. So they, relatively speaking, limit the ground and create just enough pressure and don't let C.J. Stroud move the pocket and scramble like crazy and allow his receivers to create open space ad nauseum. Oregon's got a chance. So I'm, I'm going to say, just to move this forward, Oregon's going to give up at least 35-38, I think. I think Ohio State scores 35-38 points, at least. That means, in my estimation, Ducks got to score 37-40 to have a chance to win. <laughs> Can you find 40 points to be had? Now, 
you've said to me that you you believe that Ohio State's back seven linebackers in secondary, somewhat suspect, can Oregon's passing game take advantage of that? They haven't been able to do that for basically the last however many games you want to go back into last season. I don't think they had a really great passing game last season either. But can Brown step up at Ohio State? Can all these young receivers joining Johnny Johnson and Micah step up at Ohio State and make plays in the passing game? If Ohio State's top two outside corners are out again, then yes, I think Oregon can throw quite a bit. If Seven Banks gets back on the field, and apparently he was dressed out in full uniform, in pads, just didn't play uh, last week in Minnesota, and was said to right. apparently Ryan Day said that in a, you know an emergency that theoretically he could have gone out there, but they're trying to be cautious or whatever. He's their best corner. If he plays, not advantageous for Oregon. Uh, if Ohio State is down, even just their other outside corner, I mean, it helps. It helps a little bit by way of matchups. You know, it's not a foregone conclusion or a given. Are there areas that are, you know Ohio State is susceptible? Obviously, you know they got lit up in the national championship game. Yeah, it was by Alabama uh, and that <laughs> vaunted offense. But they got lit up, and it's because they created a lot of mismatches against linebackers. Now that entire linebacking core is new compared to a year ago. Uh, so the second level. If Oregon's offensive line can forget about what they did in the fourth quarter against Fresno, it's not, it doesn't perfectly translate. But if they can create enough for Verdell so that, no, it doesn't need to be 200 yards on the ground necessarily. But I do think they need to dictate the pace of the game over the course of the game. And they need to do it with, you know, you know what, Oregon fans, you're not going to like hearing it. I think if Oregon's going to win the game, it's going to be on the shoulders and legs of C.J. Verdell and ball control. Not ball control to the level of Stanford. Not 13 <laughs> personnel and bleed the clock all day. Right. But to Aaron's point, I don't think Oregon is a team that wants to get into a track meet with Ohio State on the road in Ohio Stadium. No, I don't. Not right now. I don't believe that that's the way and that is the path to victory. I think if Oregon can achieve some success on the ground and use that to open up some things in the air to target some of those either young or relatively inexperienced defensive backs to create mismatches against an entirely new linebacking core, I think there are areas that Ohio State's defense is a bit susceptible there. But the only way you're going to be able to exploit that is if you Protect Anthony Brown and don't allow the kind of pressure that you did last week against a Fresno State defense that creates pressure and that you open things up in the run game. Having said that, Ohio State's defensive front and front seven absolutely ate Minnesota alive at times when Minnesota ran out there with 13 personnel. So when they loaded the line, which Oregon will not do, Outside of the goal line. That's so it doesn't, it's not analogous. But the point is, is Ohio State's defensive line is, uh, there's a lot of man there. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of human there. Uh, you know, Haskell Garrett, uh, Hank is these, these guys, these, these guys are problems. Um, they, they have, they have some, you know, for as great as Kayvon Thibodeau is, as good as Brandon Dorless is, as good as Mace Foon is. Yes, yes, and yes. Ohio State has very, very good defensive linemen. 
excellent defensive lineman. Minnesota rushed for 203 on 50 carries, three touchdowns. Ibrahim had uh, 30 carries for 163. So there's a team that had some success against all those humans, as you say. So to me, it's like, okay, if Minnesota can put up 200, Oregon, you got to get out there and you got to be able to rush for 200. And like you said, that would slow the pace down a little bit, take some pressure off for Brown, maybe make the play action uh, pass work well. And if the two corners are missing, you can get, you can get some shots on these guys. Um, But is Brown up? Is Brown up to a game like this? Like that that's what makes me nervous if I'm a Duck fan. Because he was solid at, at Boston College, but not great. Mm-hmm. Even last year's little spots, he was fine. And this was his first start for Oregon. Not overly impressive. Is he really gonna go into Ohio State and all of a sudden everything's gonna click? And he's gonna maybe not pick them up, but put up a big enough game to win and put up the 40 points I think they're going to need to win this game. Well, I mean, I don't think it's a matter of, of click to the level that it basically let's define click. You know, if I ask Oregon fans, do they ever think that Braxton Burmeister is going <laughs> to beat a top 10 team home road or on Neptune? How many fans? It <laughs> happened last week. Game? Did it not? What was the it score? happened. What was, that game? what was the score? Who cares? Who won? Okay, nothing drives me more nuts when people say a quarterback won a game when his team scored under 20 points. Was it 17-10? Was that the final? Yeah. Let me look this up. Okay, I don't, yeah. I don't give the quarterback I don't give the quarterback credit for that. He but anyway. threw, threw for a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, and beat what could be the number one pick, or at least the number one quarterback in the draft. Now, yeah, UNC's, UNC's offensive line, oh, UNC's oh, offensive line is terrible. And and Virginia Tech ate them alive. But my point is, is how many Oregon fans would have believed that Braxton Burmeister was capable of doing that? Well, it turns out he was. He's capable of leading a team to a great upset. Five years. Terrific win. Well, did it? But to Aaron's point, to Aaron's point, (laughs) did it all click for him to be able to do that? No, the team accomplished it. The team accomplished it, and he did play well in the game. Did he? Yeah, he didn't play poorly. He played well, well enough to win. And when you're an un- a home underdog to a top 10 team, that's all that really matters. Okay. Well, point is, is, hey, Aaron, if they win on Saturday, guess what? You can lead the charge in terms of bench the quarterback and put in the next guy and who, who transfers. If Oregon wins, there'll be a parade in Eugene. Are you kidding? So I don't care how he looks. Is he good enough to win? Good, is he good enough to win? What is click? Let's define click. Is he good enough okay, to define win? Define click. Okay, here's the fine click. I just said, and you haven't disagreed with this. So maybe you disagree. Ohio State's going to score 35, 38 points. Do you disagree with that? They are certainly capable of it. If Oregon's going to win, they cannot allow 38 points. Okay, so what I'm saying is, okay, so let's just say 33. That means Oregon has to score 34, 35. I don't believe Oregon's going to win a 24, 21 game. I don't think that's even conceivable to me. I'm saying, Ohio State's put up at least in the 30s. So that means Oregon has to put up in the 30s. Braxton Burmeister did not put up 30 points. So you can't, that comparison to me, if if Brown goes 12 of 19 for 169, one touchdown and a pick, they get blown out by Ohio State. You want to say he won the game? They gave up 10 points. The defense won that game. Just like the first Super Bowl Tom Brady won. Tom Brady didn't win that Super Bowl. The defense won that Super Bowl. You can't give Burmeister credit for winning that game when this team Gave up only 10 points. He was carried by the D. What I'm saying here with with Brown, Brown cannot play like that. Brown is going to have to put up, along with the run game, 30-plus points to win. 
Can he do that? Do you think he can? I think the offense can score 30 points. Okay. I don't know if it's going to be Anthony Brown throwing for four touchdowns. I believe the offense can score 30 points. And if you ask me how would I design that 30 points, it would not be 100% on the quarterback. Of, co- of course not. I mean, it would not be 75% on the quarterback. We're, well, okay. See that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's going to be dicey because again, this running game has never proven other than a few games here and here to be consistently dumb enough to carry this team. So that's why the quarterback is going to have to be above average. Well, maybe even special for them to win a game like this because they're, they're not going to go out there. Now that Utah game, like the Utah Pac-12 title game, right? I, I'm still amazed by that. That was phenomenal because the because the run game was dog crap against Oregon State and was not good against Wisconsin. But that one day against the number one run defense in the country, it was like, what, 60 yards a game? They rushed for 257. That was still phenomenal. They, they figured out the inside zone. They said they kept running inside zone all day, all day. I mean, Utah couldn't stop it. I don't think that's going to happen against Ohio State. If it doesn't, then your quarterback has to step up and be special. He has to make special plays. And so that so he doesn't have to throw for 400. He doesn't have to throw for 300. He can throw for 275 on a high efficiency and a couple of touchdowns. Is he going to be able to do that in this type of environment? That's what I'm asking. And it sounds like you think yes. I think he is. I think that Brown is capable of playing at a certainly at a higher, much higher level than he did this past week. I don't think he was asked to do a lot this past week. And and again, he missed certain throws. Absolutely. No way around that. Saying he played perfectly at all. Can he hit against Ohio State for some scores? Yeah, I think so. I think there are a couple. Or he can probably come through for a few. Um, but again, to me, if we're, if we're talking about how do you get to a certain level of 30 plus points, 35 plus points or something. I, I, I just think that that's a, a, that could be a tall order to do as a road team. That's all. I think we might. Oh, there we go. I, thought, oh, really I think we lost iron there for a second, <laughs> but no, my point was, is just, I don't know if you could hear me, but bottom line, I, I just think that in the, if it's a race to 35 or 40 some odd points, I just don't think that that's a game that Oregon wants to get into. Right. And I like just don't. Yeah. I, Totally agree. They want to slow it down, eat some clock, be more efficient. I think that the, I think they're modeled to victory right now. Much as Oregon fans don't want to hear this, I know, I know, it's sacrilege. Everything has to be in the fifties. <laughs> bring back the blur, the blur that no longer exists, but bring it back. I know. I, know. Um, I think that 100%. their their path and model to victory uh-huh. in this for against this kind of opponent right now, not indefinitely and forever, not for the re- remainder of the Mario Crystal Ball era. Not for the next decade. Right now, week two, 2021, I think their path to victory and against this kind of opponent is the same model that they followed against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, against Auburn, Auburn, albeit in a loss, but Auburn in 2019. That they are going to win and grind out relying on the ground to carry them and well, I wouldn't only do the quick pass thing. See, they lo- to me, they lost Auburn because they didn't take enough deep shots. And that was, you know, again, well, that side, you know, it's yeah. a game from two years ago. Bottom line, the model from that in terms of overall plan and strategy, you are not going to win these games and track meets today, today, maybe down the road, maybe two months from now. 
but not right now. Not against a team with this much firepower. I think they can, there is a path, a very, very finite path, <laughs> and a very narrow window. But I think there is a window whereby Oregon can win a game 28-24, 31-27, that kind of style game. I do not think they can win a game 42-35 in Ohio Stadium. Okay. But do I think that they can score in the mid-20s? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, end on our predictions. What's your early prediction? And I am any probably – Any prediction made Tuesday is subject to change. We yes. Right. I, I, we reserve I, the right to alter it. So kickoff. especially when, when the player of Kayvon Thibodeau's stature is, you know, exactly. dealing with an ankle exactly. sprain. So right. I, my early prediction from Monday, and I'll stand by it for the moment, is Ohio State 38-24 at the moment. If Thibodeau plays and I get a better sense of things over the course of the week, I'm going to be knocking that down on both ends. I'm gonna, I, I am leaning towards knocking the score down a little bit, but my – Monday, initial first blush impression, 38-24 Ohio State. I know that's up against the spread for those who care about that. I don't care. <laughs> what is the spread? I, I, 14. 14. 14. It opened up at 11.5 this week. It had previously over the summer been 13, 13.5, depending on where you found it. But it's back. at It opened at 11.5 one spot. It bounced around to 14. So bottom line, um, I know it's up against it, but that's not why I picked it. If I get a better sense of both Thibodeau and Ohio State's defensive backs and some other spots where they're dealing with some injuries, then, again, yes, I absolutely reserve the right to change and modify that. Uh, but at the moment, I've, I've got Ohio State winning 38-24. Okay. We're pretty much in the same ballpark. I have 41-24. I, I just don't feel that Oregon's done one thing in the last – well, since maybe the Rose Bowl to make me believe they're going to go in Ohio State and win or that they're going to slow down the athletes that they have at Ohio State or that they're going to be able to put up enough points to be in a game like that. I think they're going to try and do what you say you think they're going to do, which I absolutely 100% agree. They want to shorten this game, slow it down, keep the score low, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't believe the running game is going to be good enough to pull that off. Now, Ohio State's running game did give up some yards against Minnesota. Maybe I'll be proven wrong like I was with the Pac-12 title game when they ran over Utah. Uh, like I said earlier, but I just I just don't buy it, and I don't buy Brown being special enough uh, yet. Maybe he's still going to be to lift this team in the game like that. So I'm going if you go back historically, Ohio State has lost some home games in non-conference play the last 15, 20 years, and not every one of them has been against Vince Young. Yes, one of them was, but not everybody who's gone in there yeah. and won as an opposing quarterback, Big Ten or non-conference, has been you know a Heisman Trophy winner. There, remember. Outside of Ohio State the last five to ten years, there hasn't been a Big Ten quarterback worth a lick yeah. in terms of NFL draft prospects. So there have been some teams who have won, not many, admittedly, but there have right. been some teams that have won in that stadium that have not been elite. It is possible. And if oh, you want to go back to Moorhead, and he coached at Penn State, yeah, it ended up being a one-point loss for Penn State at Ohio State, but they scored in the high 30s. Now, yeah, he had Saquon Barkley on the team. Yeah, he's kind of good. Pretty good. <laughs> but my point is, is you can, you know, his offense is obviously capable of a lot. If you go back particularly to that, to those years in that era, but put that aside, there are teams who have won at Ohio State. What was the last time conference at home? Uh, at home. Look at their schedule. Oh, gosh, I got to go back and look. It's a, it's I didn't see anything in 2019 or 18. 
I'm, I'm it might have been the 17. It might have been 17. I'm trying to remember it now. All those W's. Good Lord. This team just rolls. But they, anyway. bottom line, yeah, they, they lost at home in 17 to Oklahoma. Now, yeah, that was Baker Mayfield. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> I was thinking, okay. So okay. How far but, I got to go but, back? But, well, who, who led Virginia Tech? Not that long that, you know, before that, in the year that they won the national championship. So, you know, not again. Yeah, Vince Young was 2005. Yeah, Baker Mayfield was 2017. But not everybody was an otherworldly quarterback. And again, especially when you talk about Big Ten teams who managed to go in there and win, there haven't been a lot, admittedly. Uh, but it is possible. It is, it, there is, again, I say it's a narrow window. There's a reason why Ohio State is a well, two yeah. touchdown favorite in the game. And you, you know, Oregon is not supposed to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and again, I think it could end up still end up being a little closer. If I, if I get the impression the next couple of days that like, oh, yeah, Thibodeau's playing, it'd be like, oh, all right, well then yeah, <laughs> I may adjust things. But again, I, I think in my own mind, how would I draw it up? I would draw it up for more of a ball control, um, kind of style of game, because I think that's the kind of game that Oregon has to play to win this game. 2015, they lost at home to Michigan State. That's the most recent one I can find. That was 17-14. So obviously Michigan State's O'Connor, seven of twelve for eighty-nine yards. <laughs> so so yeah, you need to be a special it. quarterback to win <laughs> there, man. You need to be a really special quarterback to win there. That's a point. You know, it's it, it sometimes <laughs> sometimes again, is Oregon gonna hold them to 14 points? Do they have a lot of talent in the front seven? I'm not, I'm not putting Oregon, a number of 14. If it's 21, do they still have a chance of victory? At 21, do they have Oregon a chance of victory? If them to 14 points, you don't need to be special quarterback. If Oregon right. gets up 38-41 like we say they're going to, then the quarterback must be special. That's what I'm saying. But are they? We're, do you believe Do you believe they are capable? Capable. Forget about what will or won't happen. We know what we just beyond, said. Will. Beyond just capable of limiting an opponent, of limiting this opponent to less than 30. Even capable. Capable. Forget about whether it's going to happen. If, capable. If Physically State, capable. If Ohio, State, if Ohio State plays poorly, yes. If Ohio I think State I absolutely well, believe no. they're physically capable. I don't think I don't think Oregon's going to force um, Ohio State to play poorly. That's what I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not as. I, I'm. A, we're all high on this when you have when you team, have. But yeah, they haven't when, shown it. They haven't proven anything. They had a six-game season. They lost to Oregon season, State. So, yeah. I, I know. I know. I, I, no, right. We give them forgiveness for that, but it still means we haven't seen it. I agree. Okay. That's how I I'm agree with that. I didn't, I, mean, see anything, I didn't see anything on Saturday that showed me, oh, yeah, man, Ohio State better watch out. I don't think Ohio State's looking at the film going, oh, my God. We better, I, think they're, I think they're looking at Flo and Sewell and seeing two extremely talented but somewhat undisciplined young hotshots, and they're figuring out a ways that their offensive line is going to trap those guys into situations and take them out of the play. That's what I think Ohio State's doing. I don't think they're looking at Oregon defense going, oh, my God, we're in trouble. I think they're going, we're about to light these dudes up. That's just my feeling. It's just that but I the, could be wrong. That's the, the beauty Oregon, of college football. Yeah, the Oregon front seven has more talent, more not just on paper talent, not recruiting ranking talent. They have more talent because Brandon Dorless was not a five-star, and yet by pro football focus, he was the highest-graded player, not just on the team, one of the highest in the country on the interior defensive line last week. And that was with Thibodeau out for three quarters of the game. I think that this is a front seven that is talented enough to, to, be, for, to, to be very disruptive and, yeah. and mess up any opponent in terms of how they might look to go about things on the ground or in the air. But, again, I will iterate again. I believe that the path 
to victory for Oregon in the game is to keep Ohio State under 30. Because under 30, I think Oregon has the offensive firepower to hang with that. If they allow 35 or more, no, I do not think Oregon can win a game 42-35 in Ohio State. There it is. Thank you. (laughs) I think it has to be lower. I don't think, you know, they're not built to be in a track meet right now. Not right now. A year from now. I think in a roundabout way on every topic, we pretty much agree. But it was fun getting to that path. Going through that, going down through that journey. Well, we'll do it each and every week here on uh, the Ducks Confidential Podcast. Again, he is Aaron Fentress, and I am James Crepe. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe so that way it just goes straight to your phone. Give us a like and uh, rating and whatnot. It helps others find it as well. And uh, like I say, we'll be back next week um, to have a massive overreaction one way or the other. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure that's not hyperbole for Aaron in any way. So we will either be celebrating the uh, 2022 national champions uh, one way or another, you know, either that Ohio state is bound to do that and that they'll train wreck, you know, Alabama and Georgia, or that uh, Oregon is uh, ready to crown, you know, crown itself a third uh, Pac-12 Oregon, championship. No, Aaron doesn't even count the second, but that's besides the point. No one sensible counts the second. If Oregon wins this game on Saturday, there's no excuse for them not to go to the playoffs. If they win this game on Saturday, they are they are a top five team. If they win the game on Saturday, can we agree on that? I don't. I don't, I don't even they'll take be, a look at the coaches. Be, I think the coaches' ball just came five? out. I you mean they'll be ranked in the top five? Or not that they are. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, the time will tell. But if in terms of next week, next week, whatever the polls say, next week. I guess it depends on whatever happens in front of them, though. And that's that's still a big big leap, isn't it? Sure, but if you beat a top five team, you're probably going to move up a few notches. Well, yeah. I know, but are you going to move? I mean, are you? I mean, right, right now, that they all win as well. That's what I'm saying. In the coaches' poll, they stuck at, uh, or they stuck. They they were 12 in the coaches' poll originally. They moved up one spot to 11. Right. What I'm saying is that if they beat the number three team in the country on the road as a two touchdown underdog, uh, I think they. I don't care what Iowa State does with Iowa. uh, They absolutely jump them, Florida, Cincy, Notre Dame, Clemson. I think Ohio State moves into the top. Uh, I think Oregon moves into the top five if it beats Ohio State this week. The top five may be number five, but I think they move into the top five if they beat Ohio State this week. Okay. Big test. No guarantees. Again, we both picked them to lose, to be clear. <laughs> but if it happens, we will come back next more. week with a ma- monumental overreaction the other way, I'm sure. And uh, again, uh, you know, we should call this instead of Oregon confidential, it should be Oregon overreaction. I'm sure somebody else has that trademarked already. But again, subscribe, give us a like, give us a follow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We'll be back next week for uh, overreactions and proclamations one way or another, and uh, to declare that we've either been grossly uh, misinformed or wildly, uh, yeah, or pat ourselves on the back accordingly. Appreciate you for listening. Like I said, we'll see you next week, everybody.